What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. Welcome back to the Wedgecast. In this episode, I am hanging out with Drew Weatherford. He was Florida State's quarterback. He uh, He's had a heck of an athletic career throughout the course of his life. He's got a hilarious life story, growing up with quite a few siblings that I'll let him tell a little bit better. But he's also uh, one of the partners in Weatherford Capital down in the Tampa Bay, Florida area. He's an amazing man. He's a man of faith. He is a man who's stepping into uh, servant leadership in a lot of different ways, and he's just a phenomenal person. So this episode of the podcast was an absolute pleasure to have my friend and sort of my my like a hundred time removed cousin on this episode. So tune in, enjoy it. Drew, thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me. So I was trying to figure out, I'm not exactly sure how we're related. I don't know if we actually are, but my dad is cousins to your mother-in-law. Is that correct? That is correct. <laughs> so that means we're like super tight first cousins or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Um, I'd have to Google that. We may not be related at all. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think that's like got to be stepping into like the once removed or somewhere somewhere in that ball field. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, thanks again for doing this. Super excited to have you. And I, I you know, I'd love just to hear your story. Obviously, it's of a lot of journeys, a lot of cool experiences. So I would love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, well, thanks. It's, I don't know how interesting it is, but it, uh, like everybody, you know, I definitely have, have a story. Um, I think it's hard to tell my story without giving you a little bit of context of, of how I grew up. Um, 
and my family. Uh, pretty interesting uh, circumstances and unique upbringing in the sense that I'm I'm one of nine kids. Um, I'm seven. There's seven boys and two girls uh, in my family, and um, I'm number four. So, um, not only did we have an exceptionally large family, uh, but our family was uh, all homeschooled. Uh, my entire childhood for the most part. So, um, you know, having all those siblings and, and being at home, as you can imagine, was was uh, quite a way to grow up, right? A lot of quality time with, with my siblings, um, which was a beautiful thing. Did your, did your parents plan to have nine kids? Was that like intentional? No, I don't think anyone plans to have nine kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I don't know like hey i want to have a you know big family if it's five if it's ten whatever i mean that that's up there enough that the, like I, i'm curious if that was like a total sh- like if they wanted to have one or two and ended up being a total shock or what you know what what the what the broad family plan was there well what my dad always says is he he's always said to us that once he got to four it just didn't matter anymore <laughs> meaning sure. yeah, yeah. meaning that he's so tapped out right i mean once you're once each um, parent, you know, is, it's kind of a two-on-one situation. Your, you know, your capacity, you're at capacity. And so he just said at that point in time, it was just like, you know, um, you know, the more the merrier, but it was super fun. I mean, I'm, I'm so, I feel so blessed to have grown up in a family like that. Um, it made things really, really interesting. Uh, not not a normal upbringing by by any means, but um, I think is a big part of who I am today. Um, so you know, I heard uh, I I heard some rumor about some well known iconic vehicle your family owned. Yes, uh, you, you've, <laughs> been doing, you've been doing your uh, due diligence. <laughs> I tried to do a little research before you know before I hop on any show. <laughs> So the the vehicle that you're referring to is called the Beast, and the Beast. Um, I don't know if you remember this or not. I mean, they only. I mean, they didn't even really exist when I was when I was a kid and I was growing up. Like it was old at that point. But there used to be these things called airport limousines, and they were they were suburbans that were literally cut in half like the back half was cut off and then another one was welded onto it and so we had this my dad bought this 1985 chevy um suburban that was just the most ridiculous vehicle in the world and we used to use this thing i mean with nine kids right very seldomly did we all go you know somewhere at the same time but you know every sunday we went to church and he had to have somewhere you know there's no reason to drive two cars had to might as well go in one so we'd use it you know for events like that and then we'd have these epic trips Um, my dad's originally from dallas texas which is where half of my siblings were actually born including myself the first five were born in dallas and my mom's from arizona so every other christmas we would all get in the beast and we would drive from Tampa to Dallas, from Dallas to Arizona, and then we would drive all the way back. 
So, I mean, I, I got to ask, was there like any, any prom dates that were like, Hey, I'm going to pick you up in a limousine and people pleasantly surprised by this mammoth of a vehicle. Um, so it's funny. you It's funny. You actually asked that question when I was in high school. Um, it wasn't used that way, but as time went on, this thing became, it was like a legend, you know I mean? Yeah, no one had ever seen a vehicle like this. And we were this big family. We all went to the same high school. Um, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but all of my brothers played uh, high school and college football. My sister um, played high school and college soccer. And so, you know, there were close to 20 years with one of us in school, right, in that high school. And so by the time my younger brothers were in high school, um, you know, not only did everyone kind of know who the Weatherfords were, for better or for worse, but everyone heard about this car. And so they started spray painting it for everything you can everything you can imagine, right? I mean, they'd spray paint it for holidays, they'd spray paint it for prom. And it was even in the float, you know, in high school, like, yeah, of course. That, that's, I'm literally picturing either that's got to be the prom car that like the, uh, the home or um, uh, the homecoming court, the queen sits in the back and waves her hand or something like that. Yeah. But everybody actually really doesn't want to. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. It was way too, it was way too dumpy for any uh homecoming queen or prom queen to sit in (laughs) in any in any of the dates that my brothers took god bless them for stepping foot in that yeah of course of course (laughs) that's hilarious but yeah that's a that's a very that's a great example of what a unique upbringing i had all right so you uh so went to high school obviously wait so so how old were you homeschooled until so the only reason why uh, any of us actually went to school was my mom and my dad realized that they had some athletic children and we were all very um, yeah, eager to play and to compete. Um, and I think, um, you know, they never said this, but also it wouldn't hurt if a few of us got some scholarships to college. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Nine nine kids, you do the math. I mean, mm-hmm. even even one kid's enough to deal with, let alone That's nine. Exactly like, right. That's exactly yep. right. Finally they capitulated and they're like, All right, we're gonna start letting, you know, you guys go to school when you're in high school. Cause at that point in time, what is referred to in Florida as the the Tebow rule uh, was not in effect. Um, meaning you couldn't be homeschooled and play sports uh at your at your high school at that time. And so in order to play, you actually, you know, had to go to school. And so uh, that's actually been changed. Um, the legislature changed that. I want to say it was in the late nineties, but my older siblings started going to high school so that they could play sports. And then that kind of bled into um, us, us going earlier and earlier. And so I was homeschooled all the way until middle school um, and started uh, going to Pineview Middle School was uh, my first exposure to public school. Which middle school is already as normal as it gets. I'm sure you just being thrown in after homeschool, there's no jokes made or very normal experience. (laughs) It was, it was an interesting experience. I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, You are like one of the the new guy, you know, I was like, I was the new kid 
And, you know, in addition to being the new kid, I was, you know, fortunate to be a good athlete. And so, um, you know, life was good (laughs) for me um, when I went to middle school. I was a little jerk, to be completely honest with you. Um, You know, I was a nice kid, but I was a pretty arrogant, self-absorbed young man that only cared about football uh, and sports. Um, But God, you know, later in in my life found a way to to humble me um, and uh, to make me recognize, um, you know, some things and teach me a few lessons. Love that. So throughout throughout high school with that, I mean, obviously football was the focus. You were uh, so you you weren't the first of your uh, siblings by any means to go to the high school. You were the I think you said you were the fourth oldest. And so a few had gone before you. And then so obviously you you had had a little bit of past uh, wave, waved in front of you. And then so were you a big shot in high school? Were you you know, in, in your own words, were you kind of the arrogant kid in high school or was it where you started to go through some different experiences that taught you a lot? I was when I entered high school. Um, okay. You know, I grew up in a, I grew up in a Christian home. I had wonderful parents. Um, you know, we went to church every Sunday. Um, heck, I learned how to read out of the Bible. You know, I mean, that's how I learned how to read. And it's also my excuse for why it took me so long to learn how to read. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, uh, reading Leviticus as a as a yeah reading Leviticus the way <laughs> in King James in the King James version is not the best way to teach a child how to read. For any you're not going to memorize much or retain much out of that. <laughs> no, no, um, that was my excuse. But actually, I you know I now look back, I would have never admitted this when I was a kid, but I actually realized that I was severely dyslexic which is actually the reason why it took me a long time to read but um we can touch on that later but i uh yeah so i grew up in an awesome home you know i memorized scripture you know i knew a lot about you know you know jesus and believed that he existed but he he was not central to my life um and he was not sitting on the throne of my life you know really sports were Right. I mean, I, you know, being a middle child in a really large family, being homeschooled and then all of a sudden being thrusted into school, it was a little bit of it was exciting. It was exhilarating. But I'd naturally um, because I wasn't necessarily a a good student. um, School always came very hard. Uh, You know, it did not come easy for me. It was a challenge for me. And so. I naturally found my identity a lot in sports, which I really, really thrived um, at, you know, once I got into middle school and even into high school, I, I started as a, as a true, as a freshman and in high school. And I was fortunate. My brother was a senior. Um, so I was the starting quarterback very early and uh, I was riding high, um, finding a lot of my self-worth um, and dignity and, and being an athlete. Um, and then like most athletes, if you play long enough, I, I, you know, my sophomore year, um, I really do consider it a blessing. I mean, God really humbled me. I I had a pretty severe knee injury my, my sophomore year and it no point intended. It drove me to my knees. I mean, it really did. I just, in an instant, all of a sudden lost 
uh, what was most dear to me and, you know, where I found most of uh, my, where I found most of my value. And was that one of the first times that you felt uh, not invincible? Absolutely. It was, it was the first, it was the, it was the first time uh, that um, I didn't feel invincible. You know, I, we had gone through some struggles, right. Growing up in a family like that, um, you know, we, we were very, you know, came from very humble beginnings, even more humble than I realized, um, because of my age. Um, you know, we had gone through some struggles like our, you know, there's nine kids in our family, but there's eight only living today. Our, our youngest, uh, brother, Peter, uh, passed away from brain cancer, um, when he was just two years old or a little before he was two years old. But, How old were you when that happened? 10 years old. So I remember it very vividly, but I still, um, you know, I, I still felt invisible, uh, invincible, um, you know, up until that point. And all of a sudden it just, um, yeah, life slowed down real quick and God really revealed himself to me. And he really allowed me to reflect and to take a look in the mirror at who I was and and what I said I was about, right? Because I still claim to be a Christian and and how I was really living. And it was just, I was a hypocrite, right? It was very different uh, than what I proclaimed to be. And um, yeah, so I, I really, I look back and it's, it was a, it was a terrible experience to get injured, but it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I found Jesus Christ at the age of 16 and had a radical transformation um, in my life. Is that the first time that like, so you today looking back and reflecting on Drew as a growing up, is that the first time you felt like you owned your faith and it wasn't just your parents or your family or, you know, pastors or whatever? Was that the first time you felt like it was your own? It it was. Um, it was the first time and it was exhilarating, truthfully. It was super exciting um, to, um, yeah, it was, it was super exciting just to have faith in something bigger than yourself. And it's not a special thing. It really is. It, it really is. And to, and to begin having, uh, you know, what I like to call an eternal perspective, which for me really manifests itself in, in every aspect of my life, right? It's like at that moment in time, I stopped thinking about um, how much I could consume while I was on this earth. And I started thinking more about how, how much I could contribute because there's not a finite amount of time that I'm dealing with. And right. um, it was just, it was really interesting to see how God used that um, you know, how he used my past and, and how self-centered and selfish I once was. And then in an instant, how much I changed, it was very evident and noticeable to, you know, everyone that I came in contact with. So how did that transition into, so, so knowing your background and knowing you, and obviously I want you to share some key points throughout your background, but like, how did that trend? How do you pair this whole concept of 
I want to be a person who can contribute and give and offer a lot to people, but yet still being a high-performing competitive athlete and a high-performing, and maybe I'm rushing a little bit to the story, but like, that's something that's just fascinating about, you know, that I, I just love to learn a bit, a little bit from you is just, you know, how do you pair this concept of faith and giving and serving yet still being a, how can we go be the best that we possibly can be? And how, you know, how do those two things pair together? And so maybe that's more of a, a tee off for a question that's coming soon to be, but keep, keep going with the story. Yeah, no, I, I think what I realized in that instant was that, um, the greatest leaders, whether they're in sports, whether they're in politics, whether they're in business, are ultimately servant leaders, right? And they serve those around them with the God-giving gifts, abilities, relationships um, that they have to inspire and encourage people to become th their best selves, you know, being a, being an athlete um, and always, you know, having played team sports, I, you know, have a you know deep understanding and appreciation for the importance of every player on the team. And especially at the position that I played, right? I played quarterback. And I think one interesting thing about the, the quarterback position, right, um, is that you you get all the credit, you get all the blame, everyone's focused on the quarterback, on the quarterback, on the quarterback, but there may not be um, a position in any sport that is more reliant on the other people around them than a quarterback is. There is no way to achieve as a quarterback unless all other 10 guys are doing their job. And that really, I felt I found that truth um, in the gospel, right? When I looked at Jesus, when I looked at the way that he led, when I looked at the impact that he made, I realized that as he, you know, was serving others and building other people up, it was only making him um, better and stronger and more well-equipped. And uh, that was kind of the radical transformation that happened for me. I just stopped thinking about myself and how I could get better. And I started thinking more about how I could make others better. And, and it paid off, you know, I mean, even as funny as it is to talk about high school football, um, you know, God really, you know, blessed our, our team on the field, you know, it was the first time we had ever gone undefeated. Uh, we went further in the playoffs than any team had ever gone. We had a really magical um, season. We really did. And in addition to that, um, the 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 church that I was attending had a had a youth ministry. And you know, because God, you know, allowed people to see who I was before Christ and who I was after Christ, people couldn't help but notice. And um, and, and simultaneously I was, you know, loving on people, thinking about people before I was thinking about myself, you know, on a spiritual level, you know, our whole football team started going to church together. Uh, we had hundreds of kids from our school that started attending youth group. And it was just, a it was a, a amazing, uh, to see how 
God used kind of my 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 past and my mistakes and even my my weakness, if you will, um, you know, not walking around and acting kind of macho and you know like a like I used to, <laughs> uh, being self-absorbed and and being um, somebody who was just more considerate and more loving and more caring. You know, God really used that for His glory. Love that. That's amazing. So um, I'd love for you, if you if you're okay with it, to dive in a little bit from the transition from high school to college, college sports, your college experience, and then, I mean, just just keep rolling with the story. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know that that was kind of that marquee moment. You know, as as a young 16 year old when I gave my my life to the Lord. Um, you know, I really thrived in really every area of my life uh, from that point forward. Um, I had a dream ever since I was a young boy, uh, and Coach Bowden came and spoke at our church at, at eight years old that I wanted to go play quarterback for Florida State. I literally would walk around the neighborhood telling everybody that I was going to go play quarterback at Florida State, and uh, and that dream came true. And so I was was uh, was the beat was the beast your first car on campus. <laughs> I don't think it would have made it all the way to tell. <laughs> talk, talk about talk about a uh, humbling experience. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but it was amazing. You know, I, I got offered by pretty much everybody in the country, but I was waiting for that offer from Florida State. And once it came, um, it was a really easy decision for me to make. And um, I committed to go play there. And you know, and it was a really interesting time while I was there. When I came to Florida State, it was um, kind of two interesting things. One, I came in with the number one quarterback in the country. Um, I was, you know, I was a top 10 quarterback in the country and went to the Elite 11 and all that good stuff. But literally, the number one quarterback recruit in the country committed before I did to Florida State, which, um, you know, created a pretty defining moment. You know, I had to make a decision. Am I going to follow my dream of what I wanted to do ever since I was a young child and go play for Coach Bowden? Or was I going to kind of back off because, you know, now perceived, you know, um, now a guy that everybody was telling me that I couldn't beat out was, was now committed. So long story short, you know, I ended up committing and, and we battled it out my entire career. Uh, but I, but I was fortunate to, to win the job and it was an interesting time in the program's history too. You know, coach Bowden had been there for a really long time and it was nearing the end of his career. Um, they, when I got there, they had just finished one of the most impressive, uh, college football streaks of all time. They were in the top five for 14 straight years in a row. So they wow. were basically what Alabama is today is what Florida state was then. And, um, and things started to unravel a little bit while I was there. Um, coach, coach Bowden, um, you know, made some, some coaching decisions that I think a lot of people um, would say were, were kind of the demise of his, of the last few years of his, career one of those hires was um his son uh who is the offensive coordinator you know which was just a really it was just a challenging situation and so my career there was interesting in the sense that um it started off great 
I, I actually played as a freshman, um, got hurt. Uh, so I got a medical red shirt, uh, but I actually um, ended up starting as a red shirt freshman, um, winning the ACC championship my uh, red shirt freshman year was a Heisman hopeful going into my sophomore year. Um, and really everything was kind of downhill from, from that point forward. We, we were, um, um, yeah, we, we, we didn't recruit very well up front. So we had some really great running backs, um, but never really had an offensive line that could really piece it together, which made it very difficult for, for me and made it very difficult for, for our running backs. Um, uh, and so I ended up starting my, you know, sophomore year, my junior year and, um, and then going into my senior year, which I thought was going to, um, you know, arguably would have been the best team I had been on since my red shirt freshman year. So I'd endured a couple of years with, you know, a really young offensive line. They were actually the youngest offensive line in the ACC, um, two consecutive years in a row. <laughs> so yeah, I was finally right. going into my senior year with a offensive line that had a little bit of experience. And uh, once again, I got hurt going into my senior year, uh, which ultimately um, kind of ended my um, career uh, at FSU. So I ended up not playing uh, my senior year, which made it really difficult going into the draft that next year. So, um, let's talk a little bit about the transition from high school football to college football, more, more from a leadership perspective. So you had this life transformation happen when you were 16, uh, finding Jesus and, and changing as a man and ultimately changing as, you know, this arrogant kid to all of a sudden, how can I lead and serve people? So was that style of leadership well-received in a college football environment? Yeah, a great question. And to answer it plainly, yes, right? Um, I think the style, style is not the best way to ask that, but I more mean was that like, was the way of serving other people well-received or were you thrown into an environment where if you're not self-absorbed, you're not doing it right sort of deal? Yeah, I, I think ultimately at the end of the day, um, people, no matter where they come from, what their profession is, um, people respect those that, in the long run, people respect those that care about more than just themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I, I think that my, my, my leadership style, I wouldn't say it was led by, you know, being this really loving and caring guy, it was led by working harder than anybody, <laughs> you know, I mean, the actions speak a lot louder than words, and you have to earn trust and respect um, before people are going to listen to you. And uh, depending upon your environment, um, you know, pe different people respect different things. And in the arena of sports, uh, people respect talent, people respect ability, but I would say more than anything, people respect work ethic. 
Um, and being somebody who is a good athlete, but not a great athlete, um, I wanted to outwork everybody. And um, I think I succeeded in doing so. I think if you talk to any of my old teammates, that say I was one of the hardest, if not the hardest working, you know, guy on the team. Um, and so that's really what I focused on a lot early on was, you know, just be into meetings early, you know, staying late, um, you know, putting in extra hours in the film room, um, you know, throwing with guys after practice was done and trying to do all the little things um, that other people weren't, you know, it, it wasn't about working harder than people while, you know, while you're at practice or while you're in the weight, weight room necessarily, it was about working, you know, harder than, than others, you know, the other 20 hours of the day. And right. over, over time, especially as a young player, that really started the older guys, as you get older, you start to realize that those things really matter. A lot of the older guys started to become advocates of me. Um, and I ultimately think that was a big part of helping me win the job. Um, so did you know at the time, so your junior slash going into senior year, did you know you were sort of on a sinking ship or a downhill slope? Um, yes and no. Um, I would say one thing that athletes, most athletes have in common is they're eternal optimists, right? It's, it's hard to show up uh, in August you know, at two a days, right. And 95 degree weather that feels like it's 110 because of the humidity. And it's hard to do that if you don't think that if you don't have hope, right. So every, every year, even though things were, um, it was clear there, it was a very dysfunctional time at the school every day every second, every hour. I mean, I always had hope that we could turn it around. Um, and I think that's something that every athlete, you know, any good athlete, you just have to have that. Um, now, so I, I guess, yep. well, keep going, sorry, keep, keep going. No, keep I was going. saying now in hindsight, looking back, it was absolutely, yeah, it was absolutely, um, you know, kind of unraveling on a number of different levels, right? Everything from, the coaching staff, you know, to the types of guys that we were bringing in, uh, to even the way that we were disciplining guys that were there, um, you know, academics, um, strength and conditioning. Looking back, yeah, it was unraveling. I just, it was hard to see that while you were, uh, you know, in, in the mix. My, my question on that was kind of designed around the – and you answered this a little bit with your comment about having hope, but how do you be a leader when the environment is sort of leaning towards a sinking ship? It's a, that's a, that's a really good question. I don't think, um, I think. And maybe, I, maybe you I, never I thought simple, about it that way. I think way. the simple answer is, is you choose to. Right. So you, was that something? Was that something that you had? Like, do you feel like you had to make that choice, or that was natural for you? No, you you have to wake up every day and make the choice. 
Yeah. Um, you got to wake up every day and make a choice as to whether you're going to be a leader, whether you're going to be a follower, whether you're going to have a good attitude, whether you're going to have a bad attitude, whether you're going to work hard, whether you're not going to work hard, um, whether you're going to be disciplined or whether you're going to be undisciplined. You know, one thing that Coach Bowden would always say is like, you can't separate one area of your life from another. And I feel like that is it's a very uh, true statement that's, you know, stuck with me for a very long time. Um, but one thing we all share as human beings that is so powerful, and I often think so powerful, yet so simple, and often overlooked, is that we all have a choice to wake up. And there are certain things you can and you can't control. Um, but the things that you can control, right, you have a choice. Uh, and that really determines, I think, uh, so much of, of people's personal and professional lives is what they choose to believe about themselves, what they choose to believe about others, um, is so central to, to people's success. So I might ask a bit of a doozy of a question. You okay with that? Of course. While, while you framed it, you sort of teed it up in that sense. What would you say is the single biggest thing that God gave you to have control over? The single biggest thing that God gave me to have control over. Um, I, I almost think I just answered it, which was he um, allowed me to control um, my choices on a daily basis, right? Am I going to live a life of faith and trust or am I going to live a life of fear? Am I going to live a life with a defined direction or am I going to live a life with no direction? <laughs> you know, yeah. am I going to have goals, um, you know, and write those goals down and chase those goals down or am I just going to float through life? Right. And you can go on and on and on, you know, whether it's your attitude, your words, your actions, um, you know, being driven, you know, being confident, you know, forgiving others. Those are all things that are a choice that you have every day. And so I think there's a litany. There's a long list of, of choices that he's given each person. Um, and I think that's something that we all share in common. Love that. Absolutely love that. So I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to derail the storytelling because that just fit too well with kind of where we're at. I want you to keep going in sort of your, your, your life path and then we'll dive into some of the deeper stuff. But so from college football, that transitioned into the business world. What, what was that connection there? How did that start? What was the, what was the afterlife of college? Um, it was hard, you know, considering how my college football career ended which um, was, was due to an injury. Uh, it was also due to some politics that I won't bore you with, but um, it was hard for me to come to grips with my, my football career coming to an end because um, I felt like it was taken from me and there was nothing that I could do about it. And so 
it, um, yeah, it was a really hard thing for me to, to deal with it. And I really have a passion for, for that. Um, and that just being, you know, it only gets harder the longer you play, right? So if you've played sports your entire life, that moment that you're done being an athlete and competing um, on a level, that really matters. You know what I mean? Um, it's, a really, it's a really hard pill to swallow. Um, no matter where you're from, no matter how good of a family you have, um, it, it's just a really difficult transition. And so when... Uh, my career ended, um, I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a finance and real estate major in, in college, um, did reasonably well um, uh, in college, but didn't know what I wanted to be outside of, of, of football because I thought I was going to be playing for a long time. I, I mean, I deeply believed then, and I deeply even believe now that I had the ability to be elite uh, at the next level. Um, but God had different plans, um, which I'm, which I'm, and I think he had good reasons to have different plans because I think I'm a better person today having not, um, played at the next level than I would have been. But, um, but yeah, so I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And so, uh, there was a really unique opportunity that presented itself at Florida state to actually work for the boosters. Um, so I raised money for the athletic department. I actually moved to South Florida, moved to Fort Lauderdale, helped them kind of establish a presence in South, uh, in South Florida, which they didn't have a permanent presence down there at that time. But to be honest with you, uh, Matt, you know, I still had you know, fire in the belly, you know, I still um, was young, and I still knew that I could, you know, play at the next level. And it just was keeping me up at night. And so about a year and a half in to that job, I decided there was an opportunity to play uh, arena football in Tampa, which is, you know, my hometown. And there was a tryout. And I just said, you know, I would never forgive myself if I didn't give it one last shot. And uh, sure enough, I went and tried out, ended up making it, quickly found out that the arena football world is way different than, than playing traditional football. And it would take a little bit of time for me to kind of figure uh, the game out. And uh, we were fortunate we had a really experienced quarterback here when, when I arrived. Um, and so I just love the game of football. I didn't love playing quarterback. I love the game of football. So I actually ended up playing special teams. Um, and we had a lot of success that year. I ended up, I think, leading the league in tackles uh, on special teams. Meanwhile, our <laughs> easy there, quarterback. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, our uh, uh, our team ended up, you know, making it to the championship game. We ended up losing, um, but uh, I realized it, it became very clear to me while I was playing arena that. The chances of going, the chances of the Kurt Warner story repeating itself was very unlikely because the games are vastly different. Yeah. And, sure. um, God finally just gave me a piece that um, he just had something different for me and better for me, and that, um, you know, I could have a lot of success and be fulfilled and impact uh, the world in a positive way, not being an athlete.
Yeah. So what, I mean, was that just sort of a gradual realization that you at least, uh, you at least pursue, so that, that gut reaction of this is keeping me up at night. I'm going to kick myself if I don't at least give this another shot. You gave it another shot. And then you were sort of at peace with the result. Was that a natural thing or is that like a moment thing? Or is it just like, I'm comfortable with kind of what, you know, I, I gave it a second shot or, whatever you want to describe it as, and it was time to move on? Or was that like a moment thing that really struck you and realized, okay, it's time to move on? Yeah, it, it, it really. That was a very long-winded question. Sorry. No, no, I, it's, a, it's a good question. And I would say throughout the season, since I wasn't starting, right, uh, there was a, you know, like I had mentioned, there was a guy who was a very seasoned guy who was, the starter who was getting ready to retire. And so presumably I would have been the starter the next year. Um, but, you know, I, I wasn't playing, so I had a lot of time to think. And what I came to the realization of is, um, is the battle that I, that I fought when I was young, I had never really conquered. Um, that battle or won that war. And what I mean by that is sports um, and football always crept back in, right? It was always had a tendency to be competing with, um, competing to be on the throne of my heart, ultimately, right? And um, there would be times where my relationship with the Lord would be fantastic. And then there would be times where I would be so absorbed with you know, getting better, you know, uh, working out, you know, all that stuff that I, I, I truly believe that he just took it away from me because he knew, uh, because he loved me and he ultimately knew that my life would be better off if I was focused on him and not focused on that. And uh, it was during that season that I really recognized that it wasn't a curse um, which I felt like for a long time, like, man, you know, the, the game was taken from me. It was unfair. Um, and I finally saw it as really more of a blessing than anything else. That's uh, probably wasn't easy at the time, but a pretty amazing and special thing now. It was the hardest thing I'd ever gone through. Um, ever. And honestly, I would still say it was one of the most difficult times of my entire life. Well, you sort of answered the question about was there a season of life you didn't want to get out of bed in the morning? So you're, uh, you don't even need the questions. You just got it all the way through. <laughs> that, was, that, was, <laughs> that was that season. Yeah, man. Thanks for sharing all that. That's good. Well, not good, but good stuff. <laughs> so transition to the business world. What was that like? You know, I, um, throughout my, my football career, um, I was always a leader. I always uh, was kind of creative, you know, trying to work with coaches on play calling. And so I always had this kind of entrepreneurial mind um, ever since I was young. And so I knew that once I was done with football that I didn't want to just go work in a big corporate job. I I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I wanted to do something on my own. And at the wee age of, I guess I was 20, 
four-ish. <laughs> um, you know, you don't have a lot of skills to, you know, you don't have a lot of skills at that point when really your skill has been being the best quarterback you could possibly be to contribute to the business community. But what I recognized that I did have was I had a, a great um, network. I had wonderful relationships uh, through Florida State. I had run wonderful relationships because of how large our family was. I had uh, a great knowledge of the state of Florida because at that time my brother was the speaker of the House of Florida. And so I got a lot of exposure to the state and how it worked. And so I really just, my business plan was pretty simple, right? I mean, I, I literally looked around and I said, what are, what are the gifts that God's given me and how can I take those gifts, um, those abilities, those relationships and help businesses thrive, right? And help people ultimately thrive. It wasn't about the business as much as it was about the people behind the business. And so in uh, 2011, I started a company called Red Eagle Consulting, um, which uh, don't get me off on the Red Eagle. Um, the, the I was going to let you go there if you wanted to, but uh, that's up to you. Yeah, the, the the name actually comes from an ancestor of ours. Um, he was the chief of the Creek Indians. He was half Creek Indian and he was half Scottish. His name was William Weatherford, but his his tribal name was Red Eagle. Um, so he's kind of always been someone that our families talked about, but that, that was so, and ultimately it was a business development, uh, consulting firm. So, uh, the idea was that I was going to leverage what God had given me to ultimately partner with companies and with people that, uh, yeah, were like-minded, um, that had a good product or service. And I was going to help them strategize and leverage my relationships to help the companies grow. So it was kind of the beginning stages of a strategy consulting firm. And um, about uh, less than a year into that journey, you know, I had landed a couple clients, was doing some good work, was enjoying it. Uh, there was a gentleman who was 20 years my senior that had a similar idea and wanted to, to partner. And so he and I partnered to found a a, a kind of a full service business and political consulting company called Stratagos Group. And, um, and I ran the kind of the, uh, the private sector side of that business. There was kind of a government side and then there was just kind of government consultant, consulting and business consulting. And I focused on partnering with businesses to continue to help them grow. The business grew quite a bit. There ended up being about five partners. And then in 2014, um, you know, God made it very apparent for a number of reasons that it was time to move on. And uh, the most central events that took place were I had a brother who was in office, Will, uh, who turned out of office. Um, he was the Speaker of the House, um, as I had mentioned, turned out in 2014. And my other older brother, so he's the oldest boy, Will, my other brother, Sam, who's right below him. Um, moved back from China. He was there for 10 years helping American, helping an American family office diversify their family's wealth um, into Asia and into Africa and other parts of the world. And so when they both moved back or, or decided to move back, 
we all started talking and decided that it was time for us to, yeah, to come together and to, to start our, our, our family business. That's amazing. So was that something that you guys had been talking about previous to them all moving back or was that something that they all moved back and you decided to put your heads together and figure out what's next? Yeah, it was the latter. They okay. Will was coming out of office because there's term limits in Florida. He was figuring out what his next move was. Sam was married, had gotten married while he was there, had two children, decided that it was time for him to move back. He had kind of reached his high watermark. And when they made those decisions or started thinking about all of that, uh, we came together and we started um, Weatherford Capital. When you guys decided to put your heads together and say, you know, you've got families now, you've got actual, you know, responsibilities, you've got, you know, financial needs to provide, you decided to put together a company and say, we're going to go do this. What was like the founding idea and what was like, what was the, 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 the foundation behind that? Yeah, so the the founding idea was that one thing we're very fortunate, you know, both you know, Will, Sam, and I are all believers, um, and so the most important thing and the most central thing to all three of us is ultimately how do we glorify God, and you know how do we how do we um, you know glorify God by loving and serving people. And at the end of the day, we just felt like we could do that better together than we could apart. We felt like our impact on this earth would be greater if we locked arms um, and did something together than it would be if um, we went our separate ways. And so that, that was, that is the most central theme, I think, to our, our partnership then it kind of came to, you know, so what are we going to do? Um, and what we, you know, wanted to do to create impact was really a combination of all three of our backgrounds. We, we started similar to the way Bain started, um, at more strategy consulting focused than investment focused. But over time, um, we opportunistically did deals with the idea of always kind of when once we were fully matured is to apply the strategy consulting value creation practices um, to companies we owned, not companies that were just paying us a fee. And so that's really exactly what we set out to do. And by the grace of God, that's what we've done. Um, you know, we were founded in 20, you know, late 2014. And here we are. And um, in late July of, of 2019, and we've made that full transition. Um, we um, have invested, um, you know, close to $200 million in, in equity into about eight different companies, soon to be 10. We have two other deals um, that are about to be done. Congratulations. Uh, which we're excited about. And we feel like yeah, we've we feel like we stewarded, um, yeah, we've stewarded what God has given us uh, really well. We've um, you know hired a team. We have a team of about ten now. Um, we've been fortunate enough to um, you know make our investors um, you know money and uh, help the businesses that we invest in thrive and and hire people and and still really 
positive cultures uh, in their businesses. So if you have an interaction with a company that goes from, say, one year, five year, 10 years, 20 years, whatever that is, what is the single biggest impact you hope to have in that company? I would say the greatest impact that we, um, that we hope to have, you know, first of all, we never really partner with people that we are not, we don't have a similar worldview with. Sure. We're not like-minded um, and we don't call, you know, we don't share common values. And so uh, culturally, a lot of the, the businesses that we partner already have a good culture. We hope to make um, that culture, take it from being a good culture to being a great culture. And we also really, um, you know, strive to drive growth, right? So instead of a lot of traditional um, kind of buyout private equity firms that focused on more focused on kind of financial engineering, um, you know, cleaning up operations um, and, and kind of really digging into the business. We like partnering with businesses that we're happy with the management team. They're moving in a really good direction. They have a uh, good culture and we try to take that culture from being good to great. We try to take that growth from being good growth to exponential growth. That's, Amazing. So I guess the same question, what about for you personally? For me personally, um, you know, I, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I really feel like my, my calling and my purpose on this earth is really aligned with what our company's purpose is. And I feel like I'm here on the earth to, to love and to love and serve God by loving and serving other people. And I ultimately, you know, I do that by, by, you know, choosing on a daily basis to do my best to make other people, you know, um, and, and, and their lives more important than my own. And I, and leveraging what kind of God's given me to help serve them so that they can become, um, yeah, their best selves and they themselves can have as great of an impact on this world um, as possible. So can I ask you a tough question? Always. If you were to give advice to somebody who's feeling hopeless right now, what would you give them? If I was to give advice to somebody who... The reason why, the reason why I ask that question is part of the reason yeah. for this podcast is that... Um, I get the pleasure of talking to some amazing people that I also get to sort of pull the curtains back of some cool people too, and get to hear parts of the story or life or whatever of some amazingly impactful people, but also get to know them on a personal level. And you realize that like even the most high performing people went through some tough stuff. And I think the flip side of that is you deal with a lot of people who, are you know hopeless or don't know where to go or don't know what direction to have and they yet they look at themselves and they compare themselves to these high-flying people and they think man you know that's never going to be me i don't have this this or that and then you realize you talk to these high-flying people and you realize they went through some of that same stuff too and so 
my question for somebody like you is a guy who's been through some difficult stuff, but also been through some amazing stuff and has such a sweet attitude about life. Like what advice do you have for somebody who's in that, man, I'm looking at everybody else thinking they've got it and I don't sort of deal. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it all really starts with um, is, is choosing to believe that there's a God that, that loves them, that one is in control um, and that has created them to be exactly the way that they are. Um, that's kind of the first um, aspect of all of it is, is knowing that they were, you know, knitted, as it says in the Bible, they were knitted together in their mother's womb to be who they are. And we all have different strengths and we all have different weaknesses. Um, and at the end of the day, all of the hard things that we go through, um, all of the things that we perceive as weaknesses can be great strengths of ours if we, um, yeah, if we allow them to be. And uh, if we're uh, vulnerable um, in admitting, you know, and I think this is one of the greatest aspects of leadership is just being vulnerable enough to acknowledge that you can't be good at everything and surrounding yourself with people that will um, help lift you up um, and being open about, you know, faults and mistakes that you've made. Because what I found is that uh, where I'm weak, you know, God is strong and it's the, the hard things that I've gone through that have made me more compassionate, that have made me more empathetic, that have made me um, wiser and better in every aspect of my life. So whether it was my dyslexia, whether it was my injury, right? Dyslexia as a kid, not being able to read well, um, you know, being ADD, that was, that was hard. Having football, you know, taken from me from, you know, injuries and, 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 and other things, um, you know, losing a brother, losing my mother, you know, there's been a lot of hopeless moments in my life. Um, but because I know that there's a God who loves me um, and because I know he is in control, um, I have faith and hope that all of those things are ultimately making me better um, and making me more like him and will allow me to have the greatest impact, impact that I possibly can on this earth if I embrace them because they're uniquely mine and nobody else's. Well, I think somehow you found a way to answer the question of, was there a season of life you didn't want to get out of bed? And ultimately, what could you out of bed the morning the most? All in one question. So kudos to you. <laughs> Man, that's just, that's just like, that's just powerful stuff. So, I mean, honestly, like I, I, that's, I, I'm walking away pretty inspired by that. So thank you. Well, thank you, man. I, I appreciate, um, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate what you're doing. Um, yeah, there's so much we can learn from, yeah, people and their, yeah, and their lives and what they've, what they've gone through. We're, we're all way more similar than we are different. It's so true. So, Drew, is there anything else you can, uh, you want to leave the audience with or, or just wrap things up with? 
nothing other than the fact that you got to look into it a little more and you got to figure out whether or not we're really related or we're not. Yeah, I got to figure out. I don't know if I'm buying it. I don't know if I'm buying it. True relationship. I got to figure out what's the twice removed or anything like that, how that all (laughs) (laughs) Well, Drew, thank you so much for being a guest of the podcast. This is awesome. Had a blast. Thanks for doing it. Hey, man. Thanks for having me and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you.